Welcome, Bills Mafia. I'm Tom Murphy, and thank you for joining me on the History of the Buffalo Bills, presented by Bills or Bust Podcast. There were quote-unquote professional football programs around the Buffalo area starting in the late 19th century. These league formations were very informal. Any loose record-keeping began in 1908 with the formation of the New York Pro Football League, NYPFL for short. Teams included the Buffalo Oakdales, Buffalo Casanovias, as I remember being a golf course and park in the downtown area, the Lancaster Malleables, and my personal favorite team name ever, the Tonawanda Cardex, spelled K-A-R-D-E-X. Cardex was a company that was a heavy hitter in the index card game that was sweeping the nation in the 1910s. Such a heavy hitter, they had a suburban football program named after them. Eat your heart out, Dunder Mifflin. History becomes a little less fuzzy around 1915 with the formation of the Buffalo All-Stars. They were led by star player slash coach slash manager Barney Lepper, who was a 17-year-old athlete at the time, and co-manager Eugene Dooley. The All-Stars would go on barnstorming tours, pretty much exhibition matches, throughout the area and Midwest until 1917. They lost the 1916 NYPFA Championship to the Tonawanda Cardex, and won the city title in 1917 before the season cut short due to the start of World War I. Dooley and Leopard disbanded the All-Stars in 1919 due to the Spanish influenza pandemic that was sweeping the nation, setting the stage for local shoe salesman Warren, don't call him Al Bundy, Patterson, to form the Buffalo Niagaras. Patterson signed star QB Tommy Hewitt from the Youngstown Patricians of the Ohio League, reminiscent of the bill signing Drew Bledsoe 84 years later. The move came as most teams ceased to play due to World War I. This allowed the NYPFA to get some real street cred. Shortly thereafter, this led to the creation of the Buffalo All-Americans. Leper of Buffalo All-Star fame teamed with Hewitt and Patterson to sell the All-Stars to Frank McNeil, who got the team into the newly formed AFPA, which stood for the American Football Players Association, which eventually turned into the NFL as we know today. McNeil created a sharing agreement with the Union Club of Phoenixville, Pennsylvania, where they combined players. The first known NFL trade actually happened during a scoreless tie between the All-Americans and Akron Pros, when the Pros sold offensive tackle Bob Nash for $300 and a 5% cut of the game admission price. The All-Americans shared the 1920 title with the Akron Pros and Decatur Staley's with no true championship game played for whatever reason. Then came the Staley Swindle. In 1921, the Buffalo All-Americans won the title originally, but for unknown reasons, owner Frank McNeil agreed to play two more games he figured would be quote-unquote exhibition games. They had lost one of these games, 10-7, to the Staley's, with the sole Buffalo touchdown coming from the awesomely named Steamer Horning, and they won the next game versus the Akron Pros. While Staley's owner, the legendary George Hallis, ruthlessly scheduled two more games which the Staley's won, it gave them a half-game lead, giving them the championship. McNeil never accepted this, even buying gold championship footballs to give to the team. McNeil spent his whole life trying to overturn this grave injustice. After two so-so seasons, McNeil sold the team back to Hewitt and the shoeman Patterson in 1924, who changed the team name to the Bisons, which Buffalonians will know as the AAA baseball team that still exists to this day. 
The team saw little success playing against such legendarily named teams like the Rochester Jeffersons, the Providence Steamrollers, and the Frankfurt Yellow Jackets, and also played against such commonly named teams as we know today as the New York Giants. Buffalo saw another name change in 1926 when player-slash-coach Jim Kendrick turned the Bisons into the Buffalo Rangers after deciding to field a team with players from Texas and the Southwest United States. This experiment failed with the Rangers only going 4-4-2. After the season, most Texas players left Buffalo citing the cold as the main factor, obviously, and Kendrick signed with the New York Giants. The Bison name returned in 1927, also with the hire of new coach Dim Batterson. Best coach name ever, by the way. Sorry, Bum Phillips. He was a local high school, college, and Buffalo assistant previously, wearing many Buffalo coaching hats. After five winless games, the team suspended operations and the season. For the next 11 years, organized football associated with the city of Buffalo more or less ceased to exist. With the exception of an exhibition game put together with the independent Buffalo Bears versus the Cleveland Indians in 1931, Buffalo hosted many neutral exhibition games from 1938 to 1958, possibly setting the stage for London, which currently hosts many neutral site games today. Buffalo re-entered the professional football world in 1940 with the Buffalo Indians joining the third AFL, led by yet another player coach named Red Seek. More season woes followed as they went 2-8 that season and renamed themselves the Buffalo Tigers, not due to any controversy of course, gotta remember this was 1941, where they were led by new coach Tiny Engerbretson. The Tigers went 2-6 before the season was suspended after the Pearl Harbor attack in December of 1941 and the start of World War II. The Tigers eventually folded before the end of World War II, and the Buffalo Bisons again formed in 1946 to join the All-America Football Conference, AAFC for short, finishing their inaugural season 3-10-1. In 1947, owner James Briel held a Name the Team contest where the city of Buffalo chose the Buffalo Bills as the team's new name in honor of the famous cowboy Wild Bill Cody. During the year, a famous barbershop quartet gained popularity with the same name, the Buffalo Bills. The team saw moderate success from 1947 to 1949 under quarterback George Ratterman. The Buffalo Bills lost the AAFC Championship in 1947 versus the Cleveland Browns and finished the next two years back-to-back with 500 records. The star of the time, George Ratterman, was a 6-foot, 182-pound quarterback, a physique you wouldn't figure would fly for a quarterback in today's NFL. An interesting tidbit about his post-playing career, as he was campaigning for sheriff in Campbell County, Kentucky in 1961, he was drugged and put in bed with a stripper in an attempt at blackmail by his political opponent. The attempt backfired and was uncovered, and eventually led to him being elected sheriff. It's kind of a story that actually makes you think he does belong in today's NFL. 1949 would be the last year for these Buffalo Bills, as they were denied expansion in 1950 into the NFL, and they were not interested in joining the AFL, at the time at least. Potential owner Pat McGroder, a liquor store owner who must have been one of the richest men in Buffalo, attempted to buy the Bills for 10 more years. However, a certain someone was more successful in bringing football 
back to Buffalo. Local Buffalo liquor store owner and sports liaison Pat McGroder spent the majority of the 1950s trying to bring a team from Buffalo into the NFL. McGroder repeatedly rebuffed requests from the American Football League, AFL for short, the secondary rival league to the NFL formed in 1959 by Lamar Hunt, legendary owner of the Kansas City Chiefs. McGroder was hopeful the AFL's interest in Buffalo would light a fire under the powers that be in the NFL to have their own interest in Buffalo, but this never happened. Ultimately, Harry Weismer, who was slated to own the New York Titans, now hostily referred to as the New York Jets, reached out to a Detroit insurance salesman and automobile heir who also had a minority stake in the NFL's Detroit Lions about owning his own team in the AFL. That man was University of Virginia undergrad and University of Michigan Law School graduate, Ralph Cookerly Wilson Jr. Lamar Hunt gave Wilson the choice of six cities to choose from to move a franchise to. Miami, Cincinnati, St. Louis, Atlanta, Louisville, Kentucky, or Buffalo, New York. Souring the romanticization of the Buffalo Bills story, Wilson's first choice was Miami. Fortunately, Miami passed after the failure of the Miami Seahawks of the good old AAFC of the mid-1940s. Wilson then reached out to his old World War II buddy George Schaff, a contractor from Buffalo. Schaff assembled a coalition of Buffalo figures including McGroder and attorney Paul Grotti. They were able to negotiate a deal with Civic Stadium, which was primarily used as an auto racing track. Wilson removed the racetrack transforming it into the famous War Memorial Stadium, which would be affectionately nicknamed the Rock Pile due to how poorly maintained the stadium was. The Rock Pile would field both the Bills and Minor League Baseball's Buffalo Bisons. To confirm Buffalo's inauguration into the AFL, Wilson sent Lamar Hunt a telegram, which was the text message of the time, Count me in with Buffalo. After deciding to keep the name Bills from the old AAFC days, the Bills begun play in 1960 under head coach Buster Ramsey, former star player of the Chicago Cardinals of the 1940s. The inaugural season would not be one to reflect well upon, as the Bills finished 5-8-1. During the season, Johnny Green would replace Tommy O'Connell at quarterback, putting up an abysmal 39% completion percentage. The Bills' first-ever draft pick, Richie Lucas of Penn State, was a major bust, failing at all four positions he played, quarterback, halfback, defensive back, and kick returner. The defense, however, boasted all-stars Laverne Turkson and Chuck McMurtry on the D-line and Archie Matsos at linebacker. Bills actually allowed the fewest passing yards in the league and forced interceptions, a whopping 33 in 14 games led by secondary standouts Richie McCabe and Jim Wagstaff. McCabe would go on to serve as defensive back coach and defensive coordinator for Buffalo in later years. While the offense was stagnant for the most part, it gave a nice warm-up for running back Ray Carlton and receiver Albert Dubenian, who would go on to shine later in the decade for the Bills. 1961 would offer more of the same as the Bills went 6-8. The offense continued to struggle while the defense was respectable. 1961 would be the rookie year for center-slash-guard Billy Shaw, who would go down as one of Buffalo's best-ever offensive linemen. Wilson fired coach Buster Ramsey after the 61 season. 
Ramsey would be credited with laying the foundation for the Bills' defense of the mid-60s, which would be known as one of the AFL history's best. Major changes would come in 1962 as Wilson hired former Boston Patriots coach Lou Saban. 1962 would mark the first seasons for many Bills legends, including rookie defensive standouts Tom Sestak, Mike Stratton, and Booker Edgerson. Offensively, it would be the first year of halfback Cookie Gilchrist, who came over from the Canadian Football League, and most notably, it would be the first year on the Bills roster for legendary Bill and future American politician Jack Kemp. Kemp was claimed off waivers from the San Diego Chargers, but missed the majority of the 1962 season with a broken hand. The Bills would finish 7-6-1 in 1962, their first ever winning season as a franchise. Bills led the AFL in rushing, led by Gilchrist and Ray Carlton. The page would turn in a more fortuitous way in 1963, despite not meeting lofty expectations early on. After starting 0-3-1 in their first four games, Bills rallied to go 7-3 the rest of the regular season to secure their first playoff berth in franchise history. Jack Kemp fended off competition at quarterback from future Oakland Raider legend Daryl LaMonica to establish himself as team leader. With Ray Carlton out for most of the year with an injury, Cookie Gilchrist shouldered most of the rushing workload. This included setting a then-record 243 yards in Week 14 versus the Jets. The playoff run would be short-lived, unfortunately, as the Boston Patriots steamrolled the Bills 26-8 behind Patriots quarterback Babe Perilli and four Geno Capaletti field goals. Bills' lone bright spot was the Bills' only TD, a 93-yard touchdown strike from LaMonica to Albert Dubenian, which went down as the Bills' first playoff touchdown in franchise history. Tides would turn even more providential for Buffalo come 1964 as they would finish the regular season 12-2. The defense dominated yet again, led by defensive linemen Tom Day and Tom Sestak, or the two Toms as I now call them. Standout linebacking trio Harry Jacobs, Mike Stratton, and John Tracy would go on to become a fearsome unit for years to come. The defensive backfield was highlighted by rookies Haggood Clark and Butch Bird, who still owns the Bills' career record for interceptions. Joining the rookies were veterans Ray Abruzzese, George Samies, and Booker Edgerson. Bills led the AFL in multiple categories, including both fewest points allowed and most points scored. Lou Saban would go on to win Coach of the Year. 1964 would also mark the first year for punter Paul McGuire, who would make another mark later in life as a broadcaster and a Buffalo fan favorite. Most importantly, 1964 would bring the Buffalo Bills its first AFL championship as the Bills defeated the San Diego Chargers. After the Chargers went up early 7-0, the Bills would score 20 unanswered points on touchdown runs by Kemp and Carlton and two Pete Gogolak field goals, winning 20-7. In 1965, the defending AFL champion Bills had a major setback before the season as star running back Cookie Gilchrist jumped ship for Denver. While the offense lost a bit of a spark, the defense was as dominant as ever. Bills led the league with a plus-18 turnover ratio, a number Bills fans would crave these days. The Bills finished the regular season 10-3-1, and Lou Saban won his second straight AFL Coach of the Year. Bills would face the San Diego Chargers yet again in the AFL Championship, only this time 
the Bills would not even give up one point, shutting out the Chargers 23 to nothing, giving the Bills the repeat championship. Bills scoring came from three Gogolak field goals, a 74-yard punt return from Butch Bird, and a Jack Kemp 18-yard touchdown strike to tight end Ernie Warlick. 1965 would mark the last time the AFL championship would remain the pinnacle of the AFL season. In 1966, Lamar Hunt and NFL commissioner Pete Rozelle would create a merger game at the end of the season. This game would forever change professional football's course and its place in world culture. After Buffalo won the last AFL championship of the non-Super Bowl era after the 1965 season, major changes were underway. After feeling there was little left to conquer in professional football, head coach Lou Saban jumped ship to the University of Maryland. The Bills' only GM in their franchise history, Dick Gallagher, also resigned and would later become the director of the Pro Football Hall of Fame from 1968 to 1976. The head coaching reins would be turned over to Joe Collier, the linebacker and defensive back coach of what had been a very successful Bills defense the previous years. Despite the coaching changes, the 1966 Bills were still a force in the AFL. The Bills defense gave up the fewest points in the AFL for the third consecutive year, as Jim Dunaway and Ron McDole stepped up for injured superstar defensive lineman Tom Sestak. The halfback trio of Bobby Burnett, Bobby Crockett, and veteran Ray Carlton teamed up with quarterback Jack Kemp and wide receiver Albert Dubenian to have the AFL's second-highest scoring offense. Burnett would go on to win that year's AFL Rookie of the Year. The Bills would finish the 1966 regular season a respectable 9-4-1. However, their two-year reign as AFL defending champs would come to an abrupt end right before the first-ever Super Bowl. The Kansas City Chiefs destroyed the Bills in War Memorial Stadium 31-7. The sole Bills score was a Kemp 69-yard touchdown strike to Dubenian, but Hank Stram's Chiefs were way too dominant and earned the opportunity to lose to Vince Lombardi's Packers in Super Bowl I. Joe Collier's second season as head coach would be disastrous, as 1967 would begin a fall from grace in the AFL for the Bills. Despite few player losses, the Bills would finish 4-10 in 1967, and that would be as good as it got for a handful of years. This would mark their first losing season since 1961. It would not be long until the Bills saw another losing season, as 1968 was an unmitigated disaster. Joe Collier was fired after an 0-2 start, and defensive back coach Harvey Johnson was named the interim head coach. Bills legendary running back Ray Carlton was cut during the preseason, making Albert Dubenian the only remaining Bill from the inaugural 1960 season. As injuries took a toll on Kemp and backup quarterback Tom Flores, who would go on to win two Super Bowls as head coach of the Oakland Raiders in his future. The QB duties were shifted to Dan Dara, a 13th round pick that year out of William & Mary. Eventually, Dan Dara and another backup quarterback, future NFL coach Kay Stevenson, would get injured. This led to the decision to have running back Ed Rutkowski finish the year at quarterback. The Bills ended the 1968 season 1-12-1. 1968 would mark the last year in Buffalo for linebacker Marty Schottenheimer, 
who would become a longtime head coach later in his career, mainly for the Kansas City Chiefs. So despite the horrific season result, this 1968 team would provide the training ground for several future head coaches. Oddly enough, the Bills' only victory would come against the New York Jets and Joe Namath, who ended up winning the third Super Bowl ever that season. And let me repeat that to all of our younger listeners. The New York Jets have won a Super Bowl. The 1-12-1 record would be the Bills' worst one on record, a dubious honor only to be topped a few years later. It would lead to the Bills getting the first overall pick in the 1969 NFL Draft. They would go on to select a man who would eventually change the dynamic of their struggling team and become more notorious in his post-NFL years as one of the most controversial humans in American history. And with the first pick in the 1969 NFL Draft, the Buffalo Bills selected Orenthal James Simpson, running back, USC, although he is more commonly referred to as OJ to this day. OJ Simpson signed a four-year contract for $215,000 as the first overall pick, a four-year salary nearly eight times less than yearly veteran minimum today. The Bills replaced interim coach Harvey Johnson with former Raiders head coach John Rausch, who brought the Raiders to Super Bowl II in 1967. The result was slightly better than the previous year, but not by much. The Bills would finish the 1969 season 4-10. OJ would have a decent rookie season with over a thousand yards from scrimmage and five total touchdowns. One of the four wins would come versus the Miami Dolphins, a victory they would have to savor as another victory versus their division rival would be a long time coming. In 1970, the AFL would officially merge with the NFL and the Bills would become part of the American Football Conference, better known as the AFC. The decade of the 70s would start off with a whimper, setting the tone for most of the decade. Before the 1970 season, the Bills would draft O.J. Simpson's good college buddy Al Cowlings, who in the future would be better known as AC, linebacker out of USC with the fifth overall pick. In the second round, the Bills selected quarterback Dennis Shaw from San Diego State. Shaw was drafted to become the heir apparent to Jack Kemp, who retired to start his successful career in politics. OJ would play only eight games, and Coach Roush had him blocking more than expected. The Bills would finish 3-10-1 with the one bright spot being Dennis Shaw winning NFL Offensive Rookie of the Year. It was around 1971 where owner Ralph Wilson flirted with the idea of moving the Bills to either Seattle, Tampa, or Memphis unless the city of Buffalo built a new stadium to replace the crumbling War Memorial Stadium. 1971 would bring Buffalo its worst record in history, 1-13, which fortunately still stands today. Former Bills interim head coach Harvey Johnson took over full-time as head coach for Roush. Dennis Shaw would decline in his sophomore campaign, and OJ had a much more productive year in his third year. That record would earn the Bills the first overall draft pick in 1972, where they would draft defensive end Walt Patulski out of Notre Dame, but more notably guard Reggie McKenzie out of Michigan in the second round. Lou Saban would return to coach the Bills in 1972 and make them slightly more competitive at 4-9-1, the last season the Bills recorded a tie. Saban would rush OJ more than Roush had, and OJ's rushing career would only take off from there. 
The threat of losing the bills forced the city of Buffalo to hasten the production of the new stadium in Orchard Park. Rich Products signed a 25-year $1.5 million deal for the naming rights, which comes to about $60,000 a year, about a million dollars less than the naming rights price today. By 1973, Sabin was able to get the bills back to a level of respectability. Before the season, the Bills would draft Paul Seymour tight end out of Michigan with the seventh overall pick. But the last pick of the round, 26th pick Joe DeLamular, offensive guard out of Michigan State, would eventually go down as a Bills legend. In the third round, the Bills would select Joe Ferguson, quarterback out of Arkansas. These would be key components of the high-motored Bills offense come to be known as the Electric Company. OJ would break the NFL rushing yards in a season record becoming the first to break the 2,000-yard barrier. While five others would reach that season mark after him, OJ remains the only one to do it in the 14-game NFL season era. Despite the first winning season since 1966, the Bills failed to make the playoffs with a 9-5 record. This 1973 Bills team would be featured as a classic team on the video game Madden 96, highlighted by the famous Electra Company. A 9-5 record, however, would be enough to snap the seven-year playoff drought in 1974. Playoff appearance would be short and unmemorable, as the eventual champion Steelers would steamroll over the Bills, 32-14. The 74 team would feature five Pro Bowlers, OJ, guards Joe DeLamuleur and Reggie McKenzie, and defensive backs Robert James and Tony Green would all be honored. The 1975 Bills would miss the playoffs despite their third consecutive winning season at 8-6. It would turn out to be the last winning season of the 1970s for Buffalo. Lou Saban would resign five games into the 1976 season, with offensive line coach Jim Ringo taking over. Ringo would not win one game the rest of the year, and the Bills finished 2-12. Joe Ferguson was injured midway through the season, and backup quarterback Gary Mangini proved to be beyond ineffective. Inner turmoil would grip the team as OJ became disgruntled with his contract status. The sole highlight of the 76 season would be OJ breaking the single-game rushing record on Thanksgiving versus Detroit with 273 rushing yards. Of course, the Bills still lost that game 27-14. The lowlight would be OJ being ejected versus New England weeks earlier in a fist fight against Patriots defensive end Mel Lunsford. 1977 would be OJ's last season as a Bill, as he'd be traded to San Francisco after the season for multiple draft picks. And despite Joe Ferguson leading the NFL in passing yards, still the only Bill in history to do so, Bills finished an unacceptable 3-11. A slight upswing would start in 1978 as the Bills would sign former Rams coach Chuck Knox, the 1973 NFL's Coach of the Year. Bills acquired wide receiver Frank Lewis from Pittsburgh, and fifth overall draft pick Terry Miller would eclipse over 1,000 yards rushing in his rookie year. Bills would finish 5-11 in the NFL's first 16-game regular season. Despite 1979 first overall draft pick linebacker Tom Cousineau out of Ohio State never playing it down for Buffalo, the 1979 draft would shape the Bills for the next few seasons. Fifth overall pick wide receiver Jerry Butler from Clemson, second round pick defensive tackle Fred Smurlis out of Boston College, and linebacker Jim Hazlitt from Indiana, Pennsylvania, would go on to make future Pro Bowls. With three games left, 
the Bills would be 7-6 and six with a shot to make the playoffs. However, they dropped the last three to finish 1979, 7-9. Hazlitt would go on to win Defensive Rookie of the Year. The Bills would not defeat the Miami Dolphins once the entire decade of the 1970s. Fortunately, what would become known as the streak would be stopped at 20 games the very first game of the 1980s. The Bills would defeat the Dolphins 17-7 despite five Joe Ferguson interceptions. The Bills would have the number one defense in the NFL thanks to what became known as the Bermuda Triangle, which consisted of Smurless, Hazlitt, and linebacker Shane Nelson. The Bills would not let their foot off the gas the rest of the season. They'd finish 11-5, winning their first ever AFC East crown. The playoff run would be short as they would lose to the Chargers 20-14 in the divisional round. Still, Chuck Knox would win 1980's NFL Coach of the Year. Expectations were high entering 1981. However, the Bills barely snuck into the playoffs with a 10-6 record. 1981 would bring the Bills their first playoff win since 1965 as they beat the Jets in Shea Stadium 31-27. The eventual AFC champion Bengals would end the Bills season the following week, 28-21. An NFL player's strike would shorten the 1982 season and the Bills would finish 4-5 ending a two-year playoff run. Chuck Knox would leave the Bills to become Seattle's next coach at the end of the year. The famous 1983 draft would be a monumental highlight in Bills history, not due to 12th overall pick tight end Tony Hunter out of Notre Dame. But two picks later, the Bills would draft Jim Kelly, quarterback, Miami, Florida. They also added West Virginia linebacker Daryl Talley in the second. Kelly, who was vocal about not wanting to play for a cold-weather team, signed with the Houston Gamblers of the upstart USFL, where he would play for three seasons. New head coach Kay Stevenson, former Bills quarterback coach and one-time Bills backup quarterback, led the Bills to an 8-8 record in 1983, missing the playoffs. Fred Smurlis and defensive back Steve Freeman would be named to the All-Pro team. The change of helmet color from white to red in 1984 would not prove to be a good luck charm. Not just yet. The Bills would finish 2-14 in consecutive years of 1984 and 1985, not winning one game on the road. 1984 would be the first year of coaching in the NFL for Pete Carroll as he became the Bills defensive back coach. After giving up a then-record 60 quarterback sacks, Joe Ferguson decided his career in Buffalo would come to an end. With the first pick in the 1985 NFL Draft, the Bills selected defensive end Bruce Smith of Virginia Tech, who would go down as an NFL great. They'd add future Hall of Famer wide receiver Andre Reid of Cutstown State three rounds later. Behind the quarterback tandem of Bruce Matheson and Vince Ferragamo, the Bills would only score 200 points in 1985, the lowest of any offense in the 1980s. Head coach Kay Stevenson would be replaced mid-season by defensive coordinator Hank Bullock with similar results. After the USFL disbanded, Jim Kelly finally signed with the Buffalo Bills in 1986. He was welcomed with open arms by the city of Buffalo, and he never looked back. Kelly and the Bills would have themselves quite a journey A lot of promise preceded the 1986 season as Jim Kelly took over the reins as quarterback starting week one. 
However, growing pains were still abound. The Bills fired head coach Hank Bullock after week nine of the 1986 season. Offensive tackle Will Wolford alleged years later the Bills intentionally lost week nine to Tampa Bay in the hopes of getting Bullock fired. But this has been confirmed by no one else. Bullock was replaced by none other than the man, the legend, Marv Levy, co-college alum and former Chiefs coach. The same week Marv was hired, Bills signed Oilers wide receiver Steve Tasker, who would go on to revolutionize the special teams position. The Bills would go 4-12 in 1986. However, the Bills were more competitive than the past two seasons, and Kelly and company had given the Bills new hope the franchise had not seen in some time. The 1987 draft would not only give rising superstar defensive end Bruce Smith help on defense, it would add key pieces for one of the most legendary defenses in Bills history. On their own in the first round, the Bills would take Shane Conlon, linebacker from Penn State at 7, and defensive back Nate Odoms from Wisconsin at 29. Mid-season, Bills would add 1987 second overall pick linebacker Cornelius Bennett from the Colts as part of a three-team trade that would send running back Greg Bell and draft picks to the Rams, and future Hall of Fame running back Eric Dickerson to the Colts. A player strike would cut one game from the 1987 season, and the Bills would slightly improve to 7-8 from the previous year, and Conlon would go on to win Defensive Rookie of the Year. The loss of Greg Bell left the Bills vulnerable at running back. That hole was quickly filled, and then some, when the Bills drafted future Hall of Fame running back Thurman Thomas in the second round in 1988. Thurman would be one of the final pieces of the puzzle of the Bills team that would start to dominate the AFC and NFL for the next few years. The Bills would not lose one game at home in 1988, finishing the regular season 12-4 and winning the first of four divisional crowns. Thurman Thomas would shine immediately, running for 881 yards on only 204 carries and make himself a presence in the receiving game. The defense would give up the fewest yards in the league, giving them the well-earned moniker, the Blizzard Defense. Bills would defeat the Houston Oilers 17-10 in the divisional round. It would be the first playoff game in a rich stadium, and certainly not the last. Bills, however, would fall to the Bengals 21-10 in Cincinnati in the Bills' first ever AFC Championship appearance. Marv Levy won the 1988 Coach of the Year. Despite massive hype entering 1989, inner turmoil would put a damper on the season. Wide receiver Chris Burkett would be released shortly after arguing with Kelly on the sidelines during a Monday night loss to Denver. After getting injured in a loss versus the Colts, Kelly would publicly lambast his offensive line, particularly Pro Bowl tackle Howard Ballard. Assistant coaches Tom Bresnahan and Nick Nicolau would get in a fistfight while reviewing game film mid-season. When asked by a Rochester TV show what position the Bills could upgrade at, Thurman Thomas said, quarterback. The infighting would earn the Bills the nickname, the Bickering Bills. It didn't prevent the Bills from finishing 9-7 and, and winning a second straight AFC East crown. The Bills would travel to Cleveland to play the Browns in the divisional round. The game would be a shootout with a chance for the Bills late in the game to make their second straight AFC Championship appearance. The Bills would introduce their famous no-huddle offense in the game. However, running back Ronnie Harmon would drop a surefire touchdown in the end zone on third down. 
Kelly would follow that play by throwing an interception to Browns linebacker Clay Matthews with time running out for Cleveland to secure the win 34-30. Kelly would finish the game with his playoff career high 405 yards in the loss. With the bickering behind them, the Bills were prepared to take the 90s by storm. The 1990 Bills would be an absolute buzzsaw, leading the league in points and point differential. With the no-huddle offense perfected, Kelly would lead the league in passer rating. Bruce Smith would run away with Defensive Player of the Year after a 19-sack season. Bills would finish the regular season 13-3 and face their division rival, the Dolphins, in the divisional round. In the snow, the Bills would dominate, never trailing in a 44-34 victory. Without Bo Jackson and the Bills pumped for their first-ever home AFC Championship game, the Los Angeles Raiders stood no chance. The Bills intercepted Jay Schroeder five times, with Daryl Talley returning one of his two for a touchdown. Bills would be up at the half 41-3 and finish with a 51-3 victory, sending the Bills to their long-awaited first-ever Super Bowl appearance. The score remains the biggest blowout in conference championship history. Bills would enter Super Bowl 25 in Tampa as a seven-point favorite over the New York Giants. With Phil Simms injured, Giants backup quarterback Jeff Hostetler had the grueling task of trying to defeat this far superior Bills team. Giants head coach Bill Parcells and defensive coordinator Bill Belichick were up to the task, however, limiting the Bills' no-huddle offense to 19 minutes of possession. In perhaps the most infamous moment in Bills history, Scott Norwood's 47-yard would-be game-winning kick sailed wide right. Giants would upset the Bills 20-19 in Super Bowl 25 still the closest margin of victory ever in Super Bowl history. It would later be determined Frank Reich aligned the laces to the right, causing the ball to sail, and Norwood would forever go down as the scapegoat for the loss. But in true Bills fan fashion, he was received with forgiveness at the Bills welcome home rally outside Buffalo City Hall the following week. 1991 would be known as the year of Thurman, He'd lead the league in rushing and finish with over 2,000 yards from scrimmage, winning both NFL MVP and Offensive Player of the Year. Bills would lead the league with an astounding 6,525 yards and finish second to Washington in points scored. Bills would go 13-3 with their only home loss being to the Lions in a meaningless Week 17 game, their first home loss since 1989. After rummaging the Chiefs 37-14 in the divisional round, the Bills would squeak by the Broncos in the AFC Championship 10-7. The only Bills touchdown would be an 11-yard Carlton Bailey interception return, but it would be enough to send the Bills to their second straight Super Bowl to face the ferocious 14-2 football squad from Washington. Washington would go up at the half 17-0 in Super Bowl 26 in Minneapolis and never look back. Kelly was sacked four times, intercepted four times, Thurman lost his helmet on the sidelines, and it even got worse from there, as Washington won 37-24 in a score much closer than play indicated. Highs and lows would be the story of 1992. In a Week 2 shootout with San Francisco, the Bills would win 34-31 in the first game in NFL history without a punt. The four-year AFC East reign as champs would come to an end as the Bills finished the regular season 11-5. They'd still make the playoffs as a wild card. 
Second-year safety Henry Jones would record eight interceptions on the season. With Jim Kelly out with an injury, Frank Reich would start the wildcard game in Rich Stadium versus the Houston Oilers. An absolutely dreadful start would put the Bills in a 35-3 hole early in the third quarter. Fans filed out of the stadium as Thurman also went out in the game with an injury. The fans would try and climb the walls back into Rich as Reich and company scored five straight touchdowns to send the game to overtime. In overtime, Nate Odoms intercepted a Warren Moon pass to set up Steve Christie's game-winning kick. The Bills won 41-38. It would be the largest comeback in NFL history until December 2022. Reich would also start the next round in Pittsburgh to defeat the Steelers 24-3, setting up the Bills' third straight AFC Championship appearance in Miami. Kelly would return to clobber Miami in their home 29-10. The Bills would travel to Pasadena, California to face the heavily favored Dallas Cowboys in Super Bowl 27. It's rumored the Bills treated their trip to California like spring break. While Dallas was solely focused on the task at hand, denying Buffalo a Super Bowl victory in their third straight trip. Cowboy stars Troy Aikman, Emmett Smith, and Michael Irvin did everything to fortify that rumor as the Cowboys annihilated the Bills 52-17. The Bills committed a repulsive Super Bowl record nine turnovers in the blowout. This game would be most notable for the one great play by the Bills, however, where receiver Don Beebe would chase down cocky Cowboy lineman Leon Lett on a fumble recovery for what should have been a sure touchdown. Beebe knocked the ball out of Lett's hands as he showboated short of the goal line, where Lett fumbled the ball out of bounds to the end zone for a touchback. By 1993, most football fans outside of Buffalo were sick of seeing Buffalo in the Super Bowl, the Bills provided no panacea for these salty fans as they finished 12-4, beating the Raiders and Chiefs in the AFC playoffs to reach an unprecedented fourth Super Bowl in a row. The Bills went south to Atlanta to face the Cowboys in Super Bowl 28, still the only time two teams have faced each other in consecutive years in the Super Bowl. The Bills took a 13-6 lead into halftime, and Bills thought for a moment their Super Bowl nightmare was over. Cowboy defensive back James Washington quickly soured that hope, returning a Thurman Thomas fumble for a touchdown in the first minute of the second half. The Bills would go scoreless in the second half as the Cowboys won Super Bowl 28, 30-13. Bruce Smith won his second Defensive Player of the Year in 1993. A fifth straight Super Bowl would not be had in 1994, as the Bills, despite having the same roster intact, failed to dominate the regular season as in years past. With a shot to still make the playoffs in Week 16, second-year Patriots phenom quarterback Drew Bledsoe dominated the Bills in a crushing 41-17 blowout in Rich Stadium. The Bills finished 7-9, missing the playoffs for the first time since 1987. Those hoping for the Bills' complete demise were extremely disappointed in 1995. The Bills signed prize-free agent defensive end Bryce Pop from Green Bay. Assistant coach Elijah Pitts filled in three games during the season for Marv Levy as he underwent successful treatment for prostate cancer. Bryce Pop flourished in Buffalo, recording 17 and a half sacks and winning Defensive Player of the Year. The Bills once again reclaimed the AFC crown, going 10 and 6. Miami came to Orchard Park for the first round of the playoffs 
where the Bills clobbered them led by 158 rushing yards by Thurman Thomas. The Bills would wait more than two decades for their next playoff win. The following week in Pittsburgh, with an inactive Bruce Smith, they'd get pummeled by Neil O'Donnell and the Steelers, 40-21. The Bills would make the playoffs again in 1996 as a wild card. With an undefeated playoff record in Orchard Park on the line, the Bills would host the Jacksonville Jaguars in their second season ever. The Jags and running back Natron Means would win a back-and-forth game 30-27, ending the Bills' playoff dominance in Orchard Park. It would be the last NFL game for future Hall of Famer Jim Kelly, and Bruce Smith would win his third Defensive Player of the Year. The 1997 Bills would not make Marv Levy's last season as coach a memorable one. Former second-round draft pick Todd Collins would take the reins from Kelly with none of the success. Backup quarterback Billy Joe Hobart would be released mid-season after admitting to the press he had not been studying the playbook. The Bills finished 6-10, the only highlight being a 26-point comeback versus the Colts in Week 4. Expectations were low heading into 1998, after Wade Phillips replaced Marv Levy as head coach. The Bills shockingly traded the ninth overall pick for little-proven Jaguars backup quarterback Rob Johnson. To back up Johnson, the Bills also signed Canadian football legend Doug Flutie. After a 1-3 start with Johnson, Flutie took over the offense, and the Bills started playing with the same gusto as in the early 90s. Bills finished the regular season 10-6, including a last-second win versus Jacksonville, where Flutie ran in the winning touchdown on a busted play. Flutie would win Comeback Player of the Year and remains the last Bill to win a major season-ending award. In the wildcard game in Miami, Eric Moulds would break the receiving yard record in a playoff game with 240 yards, including a 68-yard catch to start the game where he fumbled at the end of the play. It was just that type of game for Buffalo. Andre Reid would be called for a personal foul on what looked like a sure touchdown. Bills lost to Miami 24-17. The Bills continued their improbable success with Flutie in 1999. They'd finish 11-5, second in the AFC East behind the Colts and soon-to-be legend Peyton Manning. Bills only allowed 209 points on defense. In Week 17, Rob Johnson, in a meaningless game for Buffalo, led them to a surprise 31-6 win over Indianapolis. This led Wade Phillips to be pressured by general manager John Butler and owner Ralph Wilson to start Rob Johnson over Doug Flutie in the wildcard game in Nashville versus the Tennessee Titans, against pretty much everyone's wishes. Johnson struggled mightily, but the defense was stout versus Tennessee. Steve Christie put the Bills up 16-15 with 16 seconds left in the game. The ensuing kickoff still haunts the city of Buffalo to this day. Lorenzo Neal of the Titans fielded the kickoff, pitched it back to Frank Wycheck, who threw it across the field to Kevin Dyson, who returned it 75 yards for the touchdown. While the Bills fan base refers to it as the forward lateral, the rest of the world calls it the Music City Miracle. And I'm sorry, Bills Mafia. Even this biased Bills fan has to agree that it was a legal play. 1999 would be the last year in Buffalo for future Hall of Famers Bruce Smith, Thurman Thomas, and Andre Reid. Bruce and Andre would sign with Washington, and Thurman Thomas would join the most hated Miami Dolphins. 
despite all the heartache, in hindsight, the late 80s and 90s would be a time for Bills fans to recall fondly. The 21st century would bring sub-mediocrity, myriad of forgettable quarterbacks and coaches, and forlorn to Bills fans young and old for the first 17 years of the new millennium. That is, until a clever general manager, a respected coach, and a generational quarterback found their way to the Queen City of Buffalo. The Bills started the 21st century with two words no football fans like hearing, quarterback controversy. Bills stuck with their Rob Johnson experiment while Doug Flutie unhappily was relegated to backup. The Bills started 2007-4 despite having what some call the worst special teams play in NFL history. Team average to start at their own 37-yard line after kickoffs, which is unheard of. The Bills lost their next four and finished the year 2008-8. Wade Phillips was fired for refusing to let go of special teams coach Ronnie Jones. New general manager Tom Donahoe hired Titans defensive coordinator Greg Williams to be the new head coach in 2001. The Bills would do well in the 2001 draft, selecting defensive back Nate Clements, defensive end Aaron Schobel, and running back Travis Henry. But the 2001 season was an unmitigated disaster. Rob Johnson struggled when not injured, and longtime third-string quarterback Alex Van Pelt proved to be equally ineffective. The Bills finished 2001-3-13, with their three wins being by a combined nine points. Hopes quickly changed in 2002 as the Bills traded a first-round pick the following year for formal rival and Pats quarterback Drew Bledsoe. They also added punishing linebacker London Fletcher in free agency. Bills drafted highly touted offensive tackle Mike Williams from the University of Texas, but he never lived up to his billing coming to be known as one of the biggest busts in Bills history. The offense was explosive, with Bledsoe passing for over 4,300 yards. Eric Moulds and Peerless Price both went over 1,200 yards receiving, and Travis Henry rushed for over 1,400. However, the defense could stop no one, and the Bills finished 8-8. The Bills were deemed a Super Bowl contender in 2003 as they revamped the defense, adding free agent defensive tackle Sam Adams, linebacker Takeo Spikes, and safety lawyer Malloy. Week one, the Bills proved everyone right as they shut out the Patriots and a quarterback who shall remain nameless for now, 31 to nothing. They followed it up with a convincing win versus Jacksonville in week two. However, the Bills only won four more games the rest of the year as Bledsoe regressed terribly, finishing six and 10. Williams was fired after the season a coaching trend that would continue for the next decade plus. The Bills hired Steelers offensive coordinator Mike Malarkey to be the next head coach in 2004. After drafting wide receiver Lee Evans out of Wisconsin at 13th overall, Bills traded back into the first round to draft quarterback J.P. Lossman out of Tulane to eventually replace the struggling Bledsoe. After starting 2004 1-5, the Bills turned things around, winning eight of their next nine, often in dominating fashion. With a win in Week 17 versus the Steelers' bench guaranteeing them a playoff berth, the Bills failed to rise to the occasion. Breakout games by Steelers running back Willie Parker and little-known-at-the-time linebacker James Harrison were enough to diminish the Bills' playoff hopes as the Bills lost 29-21 in Orchard Park.
Statistically, the 2004 Bills are considered one of the best teams to miss the playoffs, with a plus 111 point differential. The Bills scored an astounding six kickoff return touchdowns in 2004, mainly thanks to superstar returner Terrence McGee. Bledsoe and the Bills parted ways in 2005, making J.P. Lossman the starter. After beating the Houston Texans 22-7 in Week 1, Lossman was a disaster, completing less than half his passes. He was on and off replaced by Kelly Holcomb, who fared no better, and the Bills finished 2005, 5-11. Our beloved Marv Levy returned in 2006 to take over as general manager. With him, he brought Dick Duran, former Bears coach who won Coach of the Year in 2001, to take over for the recently ousted head coach Malarkey. The 2006 draft was lackluster, with the major exception being fifth-round draft pick defensive tackle Kyle Williams of LSU. Williams would go on to become one of the best Bills defenders of all time, and an absolute fan favorite. Bills stuck with Lossman as he improved his completion percentage, but the Bills still finished with a losing record at 7-9. The 2007 NFL Draft brought much promise as the Bills took running back Marshawn Beast Mode Lynch, linebacker Paul Puzlesny, and quarterback Trent Edwards with their first three picks. The 2007 season started frightfully as third-year tight end Kevin Everett suffered a life-threatening spinal injury in a Week 1 loss to Denver, a moment where Bills fans were first reminded that there are more important things than football. Thankfully, Everett showed significant improvement days later and was able to walk again by the end of the year. Edwards replaced Lossman week three and proved to be more effective, if not spectacular. At seven and six, the Bills had a shot to sneak into the playoffs, but they dropped their last three games, including an eight-nothing loss in Cleveland during a snowy windstorm, and the Bills finished seven and nine yet again. It brought the Bills' playoff drought to eight years, which, at the time, became the longest in Bills' history. Marshawn Lynch finished his rookie year with over 1,100 yards and seven touchdowns. Levy stepped down as general manager after the season, replaced by Russ Brandon. With Trent Edwards starting the 2008 season, the Bills started off with a bang, racing out to a 5-1 record. However, after suffering a concussion in Week 5, he was never the same. The Bills lost eight of their last ten and finished 7-9 for a third straight season. To celebrate their 50th anniversary as a football team in 2009, the Bills shocked the world and signed wide receiver Terrell Owens, one of the best to play the game. Also, the Bills had four picks in the first two rounds of the draft, with the most notable picks being center Eric Wood and safety Jairus Bird. Bills also signed Bengals backup quarterback Ryan Fitzpatrick, more lovingly referred to as Fitzmagic, to be Edwards' backup. 2009 would mark the first year of the Bills-Toronto series, playing one home game north of the border, one of the most unpopular scheduling moves in franchise history. However, the result was more of the same. T.O. was unhappy, Edwards regressed more, even looking trentative at times. Then the Bills finished 6-10, not able to match the 7-9 record they had become to be relied upon. Duran was fired mid-season, thankfully, and replaced by Perry Fuel in an interim role. There were some fun spots, however. Fitzpatrick and Owens combined for a 98-yard touchdown versus Tennessee, breaking the previous Bills' longest play from scrimmage set by Todd Collins and Quinn Early back in 1996 of 95 yards. 
Also, rookie safety Jairus Bird stormed on the scene, leading the NFL with nine interceptions and being the only Bill to make the Pro Bowl in 2009. Former Cowboys offensive coordinator and Georgia Tech head coach Chan Gailey became the sixth head coach in 13 years in 2010. Bills used another high draft pick on a running back when they took C.J. Spiller out of Clemson at ninth overall. 2010 was simply dreadful, with Lynch, Fred Jackson, and Spiller in the backfield. And little power elsewhere, the Bills traded Lynch to Seattle, where he became a superstar. After an 0-8 start, the Bills won their next two, and only two more after that. The Bills finished 4-12, with Fitzpatrick getting the majority of the starts, being a vast improvement over Trent Edwards. Not to excuse the 4-12 record, but pro football reference has suggested the Bills had a tougher schedule in 2010 than any team since 1971. The 4-12 record earned the Bills the third overall pick in the 2011 NFL Draft. In a draft that featured future superstars like Von Miller, J.J. Watt, Patrick Peterson, and Julio Jones, the Bills selected defensive lineman Marcel Darius out of Alabama. Bills came into the 2011 season ready to ball, racing out to a 5-2 record including their first victory over the Pats and their quarterback who shall still remain nameless since 2003 in Week 3. They overcame a 21-0 deficit to win 34-31 on a last-second field goal. Fitzpatrick was extended, and then the wheels came off the bus. Fred Jackson, who was close to 1,000 yards rushing mid-season and leading the NFL in rushing yards, suffered a season-ending injury and the Bills only won one of their last nine games to finish 6-10. Stevie Johnson, however, became the first Bill to record back-to-back 1,000-yard receiving campaigns, something Andre Reid, James Lofton, nor Eric Moulds ever did. With the lease running out on Ralph Wilson Stadium, hurtful talk of the Bills moving out of Buffalo started to surface in 2012. The lease was renewed at the end of the year, but the rumors of the team moving still lingered. Bills made one of their biggest splashes ever in free agency in 2012 when they signed superstar defensive end Mario Williams from Houston. They also drafted cornerback Stephon Gilmore 10th overall. Gilmore would win Defensive Player of the Year years later, but with the Patriots. Despite the offseason acquisitions, the Bills would finish 6-10 again. C.J. Spiller would finish with over 1,200 yards rushing, a career high, and Stevie Johnson would get his third straight 1,000-yard receiving year. Former Syracuse coach Doug Marone would replace Gailey as head coach in 2013. After Fitzpatrick refused a pay cut, he was released, and the Bills drafted quarterback E.J. Manuel from Florida State at 16th overall. He was the first quarterback taken by the Bills in the first round since Jim Kelly in 1983. The Bills' defense was a force under defensive coordinator Mike Pettine, with Mario Williams, Kyle Williams, Jairus Bird, and Marcel Darius all making the Pro Bowl. Second-round draft pick linebacker Kiko Alonso was also a Defensive Rookie of the Year runner-up, who also contributed greatly. But Manuel struggled in his rookie year, and the Bills finished 6-10 for a third straight season. Fortunately, 2013 would mark the end of the much-hated Toronto series. On March 25, 2014, Ralph Wilson, who brought the team so beloved by the city of Buffalo, passed away at the age of 95. As the city mourned the passing of the great Mr. Wilson, 
Fears also developed that the city would lose the bills eventually in the upcoming sale of the team. The top bidders for the team were the Rogers Group for Toronto, who teamed with Jersey rocker John Bon Jovi. Also in the bidding was gas tycoon Terry Pagula. Donald Trump also put in a bid that few took seriously. Toronto Group instilled fear that the bills would eventually move to Toronto, with Bon Jovi ominously stating, we want the team to be successful in Buffalo. Not soothing words about a team on a 14-year playoff drought. Fortunately, the bills were sold to Terry and Kim Pagula, with a vow to keep the bills in Buffalo. GM Doug Whaley started the offseason with making a controversial draft day trade. The bills traded up five spots from nine to four to take wide receiver Sammy Watkins from Clemson. The bills gave up the following year's first round pick to move up, with Whaley stating next year's pick will be late. EJ Manuel won his first two starts in 2014 before dropping the next two. Manuel was replaced by journeyman backup Kyle Orton, who actually moved the ball better than any Bills quarterback in the past decade. The Bills' D, led now by defensive coordinator Jim Schwartz, was even better than the previous year, leading the league with 54 sacks after a shocking win versus Green Bay in Week 15, which was considered Aaron Rodgers' worst game of his legendary year. Marcel Darius was injured early in the following game versus lowly Oakland. In a position for the Bills to inch closer to a playoff berth, Oakland ran Latavius Murray down the middle constantly to huge success and upset the Bills 26-24, extending the playoff drought to 15 seasons. The Bills finished 2014 9-7, giving the Bills their first winning season in 10 years, a bittersweet result. Marone opted out of his contract after the season. In a bold move, Pagula decided to make a splash by hiring Jets head coach and huge personality Rex Ryan, who actually brought Mark Sanchez to two AFC championships. Kyle Orton retired in 2015, leading many to believe the Bills would leave the team in EJ Manuel's hands yet again. Bills signed Matt Castle from the Chiefs as competition, they also signed athletic quarterback and Ravens backup Tyrod Taylor as insurance. Bills made yet another offseason splash trading oft-injured linebacker Kiko Alonso to Philly for star running back LaShawn McCoy. During preseason, Tyrod Taylor beat out both Manuel and Castle to surprisingly win the starting job week one. Tyrod Taylor wowed with his running ability and was serviceable in the passing game, not making many risky passing attempts. Despite Rex Ryan's bold prediction the Bills would be a bully in the NFL, they finished a meager 8-8. Eight eight. It extended the playoff drought to 16 seasons, which would now be the longest streak in the four major sports at the time. McCoy finished 2015 with 895 rushing yards after suffering a nagging hamstring injury earlier in the year. Bills hoped to improve in Rex's second year, but the Bills proved to remain inconsistent in 2016. Despite McCoy rushing for over 1,200 yards, the Bills finished 7-9, extending the playoff drought to 17 seasons. Ryan was fired with one game remaining in the season, and in Week 17, in an interim role, offensive coordinator Anthony Lynn became the ninth Bills head coach in 18 years. Unbeknownst to Bills fans, fortunes were in the early stages of turning for the better. To replace Ryan, the Bills hired little-known Panthers defensive coordinator Sean McDermott in what appeared to be an uninspired hiring. 
Along with him from Carolina, the Bills hired Panthers assistant GM Brandon Bean to be the new GM. In the 2017 draft, Bean made a shocking move by moving down from 10 to 27 to acquire more draft picks. Of course, with that 10th pick, the Chiefs selected quarterback Patrick Mahomes, a quarterback who seemed like a reach at the time, but of course now has proved everyone wrong. Bill certainly made the most of the 27th pick, drafting Tredavious White, cornerback out of LSU, and later picked up linebacker Matt Milano in the fifth round, who at the time seemed to be a guy who'd help on special teams, but turned out to be leaps and bounds more valuable than that. McDermott brought a no-nonsense yet friendly approach to Buffalo, favoring high-character players. Little was expected of the 2017 Bills as they stuck with the serviceable but limited quarterback Taylor. Bill surprised everyone with a calculated game plan with a solid defense. On December 31, 2017, the Bills had an outside chance to make the playoffs in Week 17, but needed help that seemed unlikely. The Bills lived up to their part of the deal by beating the Dolphins 22-16. They waited patiently in the locker room, hoping the lowly Bengals would upset the Baltimore Ravens. Chaos ensued in the Bills' locker room as the Bills won in the final seconds, ending the Bills' playoff drought at 17 seasons. In true Bills Mafia fashion, Bills fans donated over half a million dollars combined to Cincinnati players Andy Dalton and Tyler Boyd's charity. The story made national news, giving Bills fans the credit they long deserved. The wild card round game versus the Jacksonville Jaguars did not go well, however. Despite a punishing effort by the defense, led by journeyman linebacker Lorenzo Alexander, Tyrod Taylor could not get the Bills' offense moving, proving he was not the long-term answer at quarterback. The Bills lost 10-3. It was a playoff game most NFL fans forget, but most Bills fans took comfort as a huge weight off their backs as actually being the first playoff game they played in 17 seasons. Bills entered the 2018 season with expectations to be the worst team in the NFL. They cut ties with Tyrod Taylor, trading him for a third-round pick to Cleveland. Brandon Bean used this pick, along with other picks, to make maneuvers for the future. The Bills traded up to number 7 in the 2018 draft to select Joshua Patrick Allen, freakishly athletic quarterback out of the University of Wyoming. With a sky-high ceiling, but an extremely low floor. The initial plan was to have him sit behind career backup A.J. McCarron and second-year quarterback and now internet meme sensation Nate Peterman. Bean also moved up in the first round again to grab gargantuan linebacker Tremaine Edmonds at 16th overall. Six days shy of his 20th birthday, Edmonds became the second youngest player ever drafted in the NFL. The plan to sit Allen behind two unproven quarterbacks failed miserably as he was thrown into a 47-3 blowout week one to the Ravens. On first look alone, Josh proved himself to be the most effective of the three quarterbacks and won the starting job going forward. In his second start week three, as a 16.5 point underdog, Allen beat the Minnesota Vikings 27-6 in what is considered one of the biggest regular season upsets of all time. A hurdle over linebacker Anthony Barr would immediately embed him into the hearts of NFL fans, where he remains to this day. The Bills finished 2018 
missing the playoffs. The city of Buffalo does not know an NFL playoff year without them there since, to this day. With the low expectations again, the Bills, with a slightly improved Allen, a slightly better offensive supporting cast, and a bend-but-don't-break defense led by defensive coordinator Leslie Frazier, the Bills would finish 10-6 in 2019. The Bills would score their first playoff touchdown in more than 20 years versus the Houston Texans on a pass from wide receiver John Brown to Josh Allen in a play designed by soon-to-be Bills legend offensive coordinator Brian Dable. The Bills unfortunately would relinquish a 16-0 lead, losing 22-19 in overtime to Houston. A world-pausing pandemic would not stop the Bills from moving forward in 2020, when newly acquired star wide receiver Stephon Diggs and newly accurate and still cannon-armed Josh Allen would lead the Bills to a 13-3 record, earning the Bills their first AFC East crown since 1995. After defeating the Colts 27-24 in the first round, a 101-yard pick-six by Taron Johnson would be the icing to defeat Lamar Jackson and the Ravens 17-3 in the divisional round. The win would send the Bills to their first AFC championship since 1993 and their sixth all-time. Things looked promising as the Bills jumped out to a 9-0 lead on the favored Kansas City Chiefs in the 2020 AFC Championship. However, Patrick Mahomes and company took immediate control, scorching the Bills 38-24. While it wasn't the outcome Bills fans had hoped, the future only looked brighter from here on out. Bills cemented their status as new kings of the AFC East, winning their second straight division crown in 2021 with an 11-6 record. They faced the New England Patriots in the first round on a frigid day in Orchard Park and accomplished something never done before. In a 47-17 win, they accomplished what is now known as the perfect offensive game, scoring touchdowns on all but the last victory formation to end the game. Bills came and energized Arrowhead Stadium, ready to face their newfound rival, the Kansas City Chiefs, in the divisional round. Both teams came out slinging with a great respect for each other. The Bills lost a heartbreaker in overtime 42-36, despite Allen regaining the lead twice in the last two minutes. Gabe Davis made himself a household name with 201 yards receiving and four touchdowns. To this day, it's considered one of the best games in NFL history. With the addition of future Hall of Famer Von Miller, the Bills were the overwhelming favorite to win the Super Bowl in 2022. While still asserting themselves as one of the most dominating teams of the league, injuries ravished the defense throughout the year. Scariest moment in Bills history occurred on January 2nd, 2023 versus Cincinnati in Week 17 as safety DeMar Hamlin suffered cardiac arrest on the field in the first quarter after a tackle. Thanks to the heroic efforts of the Bills medical staff, he survived and plans to continue his playing career. The Bills finished the regular season 13-3 and won their third straight AFC East divisional crown despite all the hardship. After squeaking past Miami in the first round 34-31, the worn-out Bills fell hard at home to the Cincinnati Bengals in the second round, only the second home playoff loss in Orchard Park. The 2022 season is where the Bills leave us for now, but there is so much more history to be written. The upcoming 2023 season starts the next unwritten chapter, a chapter 
I believe could be the best one yet. For that chapter, join us this season on Bills or Bust Podcast. Thank you for joining me on this journey. Thank you for listening to the Bills or Bust Podcast. Available weekly wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tom Murphy, and let's go Buffalo! Buffalo!